Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Sometimes the most difficult people that we are called to evangelize are those that we are closest to, co-workers, friends, and even family members. On today's sampler, we're going to share two great podcasts that might give us some guidance on where to start on this tricky challenge. First up, we have an offering from the Catholic Mama podcast. In this episode, your host, Christine, is joined by author Pat Flynn to discuss the best book to hand to your atheist husband, friend, or teenager in his new tome, The Best Argument for God. Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Mama podcast. I'm your host, Christine Flynn. Thanks for joining me on this episode where I'm joined by a guest who, it's been a long time since I've had this particular person on, and I think that they would probably think the same thing. It's old Patty Flynn. Mm. Pat Flynn, my philosopher husband. Hello, Pat Flynn. I finally made it on the Catholic Mama podcast. I don't believe it. The big time. It's good to be back. Well, you know, yeah, it has, it's been a long time, and I know you keep you keep hounding me to come on the show. Well, the thing was I wasn't recording, but now I am. And you're one of the first people to, I invited back. Isn't that nice? Mm-hmm. It's just nice. Uh, and great timing, <laughs> actually, because your book is out. Mm. Yes. The Best Argument for God, uh, published by Sophia Institute Press, out now, available on Sophia's website or on Amazon. This is the book that, you know, what we're going for and what we're going to talk about in this episode is that is the book that you want to hand to your atheist husband or the agnostic teenager in your life, somebody who's questioning and doesn't quite believe um, in, in God. And Pat here has distilled this information, very technical, but down to a popular level. So it is accessible to people, even if they aren't professional philosophers, such as the author himself. Yeah, this will, I guess, be a little bit of a disjointed conversation because we're back to the old ways of just sharing one microphone and passing it back and forth for people who want the behind the scenes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we could cozy up. We <laughs> get a little, little closer. Yeah, a little canoodly <laughs> on the podcast here. Uh, but yes, that's right. This book has been in the works for a very long time. It is the culmination of many years of research, as people may or may not be familiar with my background. It was a very long period of time when I would have firmly considered myself in that skeptical category. And I'm sort of the cliche story where, you know, a, a little bit of philosophy brings you away from God. And then, you know, a lot of philosophy brings you back right to not just God, belief in God, but uh, religion, Catholicism, indeed. So what I wanted to do was write a book really aimed at somebody like my former self. And the idea there is somebody who is, yes, skeptical, but sincere. You know, somebody who really doesn't have a huge bias against religion or belief in God, but for the most part, you know, we're never perfectly unbiased, but for the most part, just hasn't really um, heard any convincing rational case for the existence of God, or maybe has various objections uh, to the existence of God that they have not found adequate answers to, whether it's the problem of evil or whether uh, modern science somehow renders the God hypothesis totally obsolete. There's a lot of different objections that people might bring up. There's a lot of objections that I used to bring up. And good news, I think there's actually really good answers to all these objections and many more technical objections that I consider throughout this book. So it's a very long book. Uh, Fortunately, people don't have to read it cover to cover. I think it is, it can kind of be taken, 
you know, piece by piece, almost like a buffet, you can just find a section that interests you, whether it's a section on arguing for the existence of God from uh, the realm of contingency or morality or stability in, in order or responding to the problem of evil or what is the relationship between um, faith and science or philosophy and science or philosophy and religion. I explore all these different themes in the book, so you can kind of dive in wherever is most relevant, or you could, you know, start at the beginning and go right to the end, and if you do, God God bless you. So that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did go from the beginning to the end a couple of times, and I will say that I, um, and I've said it many times, actually, I am not a naturally a philosophically-minded person. It makes my head hurt a lot of times when I hear Pat uh, guffawing over some silly... <laughs> Uh, yeah, distinction with his philosopher friends you know but it's <laughs> but I, I understood the book and um I, and i got a lot out of it even though you know I've, I've been hearing you talk about this stuff for a number of years and it was really interesting to to see it all laid out in one place and i think you did a very nice job and also i really like the way the cover feels mm. it's a very nice cover on the book <laughs> yeah sophia did a really nice job with the production quality i'm very happy about that also happy to hear that you enjoyed it and digested it. You know that that was important to me. Uh, there's there's sort of a problem, uh, I think, for when it comes to general works of philosophy like this, is that at the actual academic level, um, there's a lot of really good stuff going on. There's a lot of just I think brilliant Catholics, Christians who are professional philosophers who are making really good arguments uh, for the existence of God for classical theism. Uh, but then on the popular level, you have a lot of just, yeah, sort of superficial apologetics books um, that, if, speaking frankly, I just don't think are, are particularly great. Either they just don't go deep enough to, to really satisfy a, a curious and learned skeptic, or they just get certain things wrong, or they sort of don't even get the opposition right. And there's just not a whole lot in the middle. There's a few exceptions, but there's not a whole lot in the middle that tries to distill but not dilute what I think um, is the best stuff that's happening among professional philosophers uh, and bring it down to the people, make it accessible. Uh, so I, I, I've you know, been up front, I'm up front in the very beginning of the book that it's not a particularly easy read, but if you are really interested in the God debate and in, in seeing how far reason can go, not just to understanding... Um, not just to answering the question of whether God exists, but what God is like, then it is an accessible book because I tried very hard and you were very helpful with your edits <laughs> in clarifying um, you know, core concepts and really breaking things down. Uh, so that way, if you are not, uh, not just, you know, if you forget about being a professional philosopher, if you just haven't just spent any time really um studying philosophy at all i still think that this is a book that you can take on as long as you're just you know willing to be challenged and 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 be patient with the material i think that that you'll you'll find it rewarding yeah i think you you put um sidebars what are they called the finer points the finer points in there that help with um explaining terms and providing some distinctions that uh, you know for somebody such as myself who is not a professional philosopher by any means um, and isn't very well versed in philosophy, made it very helpful to, uh, to dive into the book and get the most out of it that I could.
Well, thank you. I think I actually think that the finer points, the name was your suggestion. So that's right. It was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so so way to just compliment, compliment yourself in a very backhanded way there. Oh, just, just like, okay, name the finer. By point. the way, that one section was really brilliant. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> no, I'm so smart. You were so, oh you were so smart. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, for people who who are interested, in it, let me maybe we could get into some of the content yeah, just sure, to give 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 people um, an idea of what's in the book. And look, it's not just a book that I think you can hand to your skeptical husband, wife, uh, teenage daughter, son, um, or just fellow friend, right? We all know friends that are either atheist or agnostic. And I think this would be a good book to give for them, not just because I think that it does make a very rigorous philosophical case for the existence of God, but the tone is friendly. It's charitable. Um, you know, I'm trying to show a sincere care and understanding of the skeptical position. It's not a triumphalistic, uh, this is why anybody who disagrees with me is wrong or an idiot. I don't find that very effective. It definitely would not have been effective for me. Uh, so I, I, I wanted to focus not on just the matter of developing, you know, uh, rigorous arguments for the existence of God, but the manner and presenting it in a way that I think will actually uh, be received well by people who might otherwise be inclined to disagree with me on many big, you know, conclusions about the fundamental structure of the rea of reality so you know so as to not just sort of dismiss it out of hand so that that was important to me the book is essentially divided up into two major sections the first major section develops what's called a cosmological argument and this is really a very traditional philosophical approach to god what it's doing is it's it's focusing on in on certain features of reality, and then it's searching out the necessary conditions for those features. So one of the things that I focus on, two things I focus on in this book are features such as contingency, the fact that some things are, but they need not have been. There's nothing about their sort of nature that demands that, that they be included in reality. And compositeness, the fact that things have parts. And I follow a lot of brilliant thinkers uh, in the tradition and making uh, all sorts of arguments for why things that are contingent or composite ultimately have to find some sort of explanation, some sort of causal explanation in something that is non-contingent or non-composite, an absolutely simple and necessary reality whose essence just is its existence, which St. Thomas Aquinas would say that's what everybody calls God. Um, so that's one of the um, aspects of the book, and I think it's pretty cool because I blend a lot of traditional insights with a lot of what's going on in contemporary philosophy and I think contribute at least a few novel nuggets of my own, if I may. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, in the second half of the book, I switch methodologies to uh, what's sometimes called worldview comparison. And this is kind of more scientific in its approach. This is where philosophers will take their kind of big picture theory of everything, what's called their worldview, and then they'll go out and sort of test it and see, okay, what sort of things is, does... Um, would I anticipate from this worldview? What would I expect to be the case if this big picture were correct? And there I'm mostly interested in comparing the classical theistic hypothesis, which we helped to motivate and refine in the first section of the book, against the atheistic naturalistic hypothesis. And there we look at big features of reality, large-scale features of reality, such as the fact that reality is uh, stable and orderly, uh, that we discover physical fine-tuning, we look at the moral dimension, we look at the conscious dimension, uh, the rational dimension, and indeed we take a very long look at the distribution of suffering and evil in this world. And at each 
uh, at, at each chapter, I make the argument that theism is the is the both better and simpler explanation than what uh, naturalism has to offer. So it's a pretty extensive book. It's it's long, but like I said, there's it, the way it's divided up is somebody might just find any one of those sections interesting. You know, of like, hey, what does God have to do with morality? How is how is God a better explanation of our moral experience than say naturalism? They could they could dive right there, for example. Um, in your uh, throughout the book. You, you mentioned theism, you know, it, it is monotheism that you're working towards, correct? And you, you make a point of that God has to be one. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah yes, that's, that's right. And in fact, that's a conclusion of the arguments that I give. I, I From the first sort of um, broad contingency argument I give, I not only say that we have to get to a necessary reality, but when, once we run a conceptual analysis on uh, what this necessary being is, it turns out that its nature is such that it cannot be multiplied. It cannot be multiply instantiated. So good philosophy, I argue, not only gets you to a sort of um, a God, but in a very in-principled monotheism, that there is the God and only, you know, the one with a capital T and O, if you will. <laughs> so then I wonder, you know, we've talked about how this book is really good for um, the atheist or agnostic. How would a pagan or spiritual but not religious person approach this book? It might even sound, it sounds, I'm just realizing that it would probably do yeah. good for them. It's funny. Did you listen to my radio interview this morning? Oh, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> with the book coming out, I've been doing a lot of different radio podcast interviews. And this was a question that the host brought up. It was a good one. And the host name was, was Gabby. I think it was a station down in Louisiana. And she essentially said the same thing as you is, hey, you know, Great that, you know, you're engaging atheism, but a lot of people, you know, they think that God is just nature, right? And that's right. You know, statistically, atheism is still a very minority position. Uh, even when people leave uh, Christianity, uh, they don't typically become like re reductive materialists, right? They, A lot of them just sort of explore uh, various, you know, pagan um, forms of spirituality or philosophy or whatever. Uh, so yes, I think it's very useful uh, because I think that, again, good philosophy can reveal quite a bit about God. And one of the things that it reveals, and I've mentioned this on the radio show today, is that, again, what you get uh, through the various philosophical arguments is a God that is the necessary condition for a, for a natural order to begin with, that God is the qualitatively infinite perfect being whose essence just is his existence, right? And is the necessary causal condition for any finite, bounded, individuated thing, which whatever else a natural entity is, that's what it is. Um, so nature is cool, it's awesome, but nature is a creature through and through. So if you're, you're thinking about sort of worshiping, you know, nature at large or, 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 or trees or whatever, you, you might as well worship a toaster, not to be too polemical about it, but in terms of where things, you know, actually fall in terms of creator or creature category, there's, there's no like in principle difference between that. Um, all, really, so many of the traditional arguments for God are just arguing that if there's no God, there's no world, there's no nature, but there is a world and there is nature, so therefore there is God. Now there's many details to be filled in on that. But if somebody, again, who's just interested in seeing how far reason can reach concerning not just the existence, but nature of God, I think that they will find this approach to be very helpful for refining their conception of, of, of deity uh, and really moving away from 
um, notions like pantheism, for example, that, that God just is the universe, uh, because that is, that I would say is as decisively ruled out by good philosophical arguments for God uh, as much as, as the atheistic position is. So yeah, right. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> do, you, do you have any more? Are you ready for bed? <laughs> A little bit, no. Uh, yeah, no, that's it's funny. I, I did not listen in on your radio program today. In fact, I almost made you miss it. So mm-hmm. glad to see that worked out for you. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we've talked. Like, that, that's good because we've talked a lot about uh, atheists and agnostics. But you're right. I mean, it is it is a minority, right? It's only four mm-hmm. percent. About yeah, depending how you know the various surveys and how they're conducted. But yes, that's that's right. Even today. Uh, the true atheistic position is 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 definitely a minority, a very slim minority position. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's so so that's right. Yeah, I, I do think that this is a book that you could hand to people. Uh, well, I think you can hand it to pretty much anybody, even if you're already religious and believe in God. I think this would be a great resource to just you know shore up your faith from a philosophical, rational perspective. I don't think this is just something you hand to skeptics. I would actually hope that. Uh, a bunch of Catholics read this book, and and because it's really bringing forth so much of the intellectual muscle that is in the Catholic tradition that unfortunately has just been largely forgotten or, or overlooked or ignored. Yeah, I think you know we heavily emphasize we you know the church at large emphasized uh, theological studies to scripture, but the philo- philosophy is such a huge part of our faith that. Um, you know, that it's just another angle in which to better know God, and that's important, right? Because if you if you really love something, you want to know as much about it as you can, and, and including the philosophical parts, even if it isn't something that you're naturally inclined to, perhaps. That's right. Well, I'm a big fan of Mortimer Adler, who himself was a convert to Catholicism at a very very late age, like in his 90s, <laughs> but he was a lifelong philosopher, brilliant man, prolific. You know, he's uh, he wrote that. Uh, amazing book how to read a book but he also had many works of philosophy including a book on natural theology called how to think about god which is one of the first books i read in natural theology and really got me thinking about this stuff because i was a mortimer adler fan for so long and he really over a very long long stretch of time thought himself into the catholic faith Uh, he came to a sort of intellectual conversion of theism and even thomism the general school of thought following thomas aquinas uh, many decades before he actually became Catholic, but he did get there, right, right, right at the, at the, at the very, at very end. But he would always, he would always remind people, hey, philosophy is everybody's business. It's everybody's business because it's accessible to everybody. The philosopher does not need the special equipment, uh, or tools, or instruments, or conditions that the scientist needs. Philosophy is really just about reflecting back upon common experience trying to understand, uh, you know, that really the nature of common experience, make make good rational sense of it and set it in relation to the whole. Uh, it's something that is, it's not easy. Uh, one of my other favorite philosophers d- literally defines philosophy as just thinking hard about things, but anybody can think hard about things. Uh, and it's and that same philosopher would say that philosophy is best done slow. And it's a, it's a great practice. And, you know, people will go, you know, will engage it to various degrees and that's fine i don't think everybody is i certainly don't think everybody is called to be a professional philosopher nor do you need to be one to have a rational justification for your faith but i do think everybody will benefit to some extent by some 
some degree of philosophical training and education for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I just said, you know, I'm not philosophically minded, but there's the phrase that everybody does philosophy. You just might, if you, if you don't study, you just might not do it well. Yeah. So this is really not about, we're all philosophers because we all have worldviews and, and theories about the way things should be. Um, but this, this is just a, a, a your book or, or just getting into philosophy anyway, in, in any capacity would, uh, it's just about the training. Yeah. We need to be yes. Trained Thank, and yes. How to think well. Yeah, totally. We all have a worldview. We all have a paradigm through which we order our lives and uh, have a hierarchy of values of things we pursue and we think are most important. So that's not something you can escape, right? It's just something that you can escape. Uh, having thought about and and having a coherent and consistent and ultimately true worldview. So if we're just kind of resigned to this anyways, we might as well just try to do a pretty good job at it, at least the best we can. Yes, agreed. Good. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and, and again, um, you know, for any, any Catholic moms who may be strapped for time on here, I, I think that it's still, it, it's, whether I mean your your book is a great starting point, but I'm biased about that on philo- philosophical thought as it uh, relates to um, coming to know God. Um, we we should make the time for this. This this is something, and and like I said, best done slow. So you could get the book and read little bits here and there, and eventually make your way through it. I just got invited to be part of a book club, and they read one chapter every other week. Great. That's a great book club, you know. <laughs> you could, but you could do that with your book, mm-hmm. and it, you know, you if you're, you just said something recently that you know, if you're planning to exist for X number of weeks or months or anyway, you might as well get better at something. Well, make good use of you the make, time. Make good right? use of the time, uh, and uh, and who knows, you might pick up a philosophy book if you haven't done that before and actually find that you enjoy it mm-hmm. more than you thought that you might, or that it's more accessible and your brain is able to work in that way. Uh, but it really boils down to logic. And uh, we can all, we all need to get better at that. <laughs> in general, our entire society could use a good dose of logical training. Yes, right. I mean, <laughs> philosophy is really about just y- using the light of reason and seeing how how f- its reaches, right? Seeing how far it can shine, which means, to the best of our ability, setting aside those often heated emotions and passions and biases, and just trying to engage in good old cold, you know, abstract thinking, right? Uh, God gave us the power, so, and it's a good power, so we should, we should, we should try to use it well. You just mentioned biases. Do you um, have a particular part of the book that was your favorite? Oh, um, that's a, that's a good question. It's not one that I had properly anticipated. (laughs) Um, Boy, uh, well, sadly, it was actually one of the sections that got cut. (laughs) So the book was originally much longer and had much more material in there. And I had a, I had a formulation of the cosmological, I had two of them in there. And one of them uh, was a lot more technical. uh, And it rightfully got cut because it was just not appropriate uh, for this book. And there was already plenty said. Uh, but that being said, I, I do have it as offered bonus and extended material for anyone who gets the book and, and emails me. I will send you some of that cut material, which has actually since been sort of repurposed and 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 turned uh, various aspects of the book that got cut. I just I shaped up and turned into independent articles. So I'm making that available. So yeah, it was the the, the development of Barry Miller, uh, Barry Miller's approach to God. Barry Miller, for those who 
don't know him, which is probably all of you because he's a somewhat obscure philosopher, <laughs> but he was a he was a Marian priest actually from Australia, and he was just a brilliant philosopher who who was just so insightful and creative in his philosophical approach to God that in my own research and, and writing, I've, I've tried to uh, extend some and defend some of his thoughts. So I, I did have that originally incorporated in the book, but it got cut. But again, if you want the bonus material and you want to see that, I will send it to you. For the stuff that was retained in the book, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, the, 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 the final chapter in The Problem of Suffering and Evil, I, I, I do like a lot because it is such an, an important issue that we all have to deal with on many levels, the intellectual, the emotional, the spiritual. And I really do believe as hard as it is um, to think about and to, and, and to deal with because we all grapple with immense suffering in our lives, I do think at the end of the day, the most sober analysis shows that yes, even this distribution of suffering and evil that we see in the world is better explained by a theistic worldview than an atheistic one. And I am at great pains to show why that's the case upon a substantial and sober analysis in that in that final chapter. So if you're somebody who is grappled with the problem of evil, as I'm sure all of you have at various times, I think you will find some genuinely novel insights in that chapter because I think they are genuinely right at the uh, many of these uh, thoughts, um, so far as I'm aware, have not been... Um, presented before at least not at the at the to the extent that that i present them in this book so yeah i guess i would say that that last chapter Mm -hmm. cool that's all that's all i got to say yeah (laughs) very good i know you said about emailing you uh let's let's talk a little bit about where the book is available i I mentioned it earlier and also where you're available where can people find you my dear husband wisconsin (laughs) just look for the guy with the beard um that doesn't There's narrow it that doesn't things. narrow it down it was land flowing yeah. with ground beef and frozen yeah. custard so the book thank you for allowing me to shamelessly self-promote here on the catholic mama podcast mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but let it be known you don't write these sorts of books for the money <laughs> this thing is oh boy it's an economic drain but you know what i thought it was important so here we are so if you want to yeah if you want to grab a copy i would really appreciate it i I think it is an important book i think it's important to have books like this out there and circulating uh it's published by sophia so you can get it at you know from sophia press their website directly but of course it's on amazon most people just find that to be the easiest so just search the best argument for god by pat flynn wherever books are sold online i also uh understand that it's going to have good you know representation at the usual books in-person bookstores if people still go to those as well so those would be the best places to go to grab a copy if you do grab a copy and you want the bonus material if you go to my philosophy website philosophyforthepeople.com there's a contact form there just fill that out uh and i will put you on the list to receive the bonus content which i'll be sending out to everybody who orders the book and submits that form by the end of this week so there you go uh, the end of this week being October 23rd. Yes, I think that's right. No, 22nd. That's Sunday. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then you mentioned philosophy for the people. Can you just give a quick explanation of what that is? Yes, that's right. I run the philosophy for the people podcast. We also have a, a YouTube counterpart, I guess, uh, which is just mostly the podcast with video. <laughs> Get to look at my face for radio. <laughs> Um, then you can find that on just search philosophy for the people on YouTube and subscribe right there, or you can find it on iTunes as well. And philosophyforthepeople.com is the main website. Very good. Well, Patrick, 
It's been nice to see you again on the podcast. It's good I to be you. back. I see you all the time, but it's nice to actually be here, swapping mics, having a good time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good to be back on the Catholic Mama. I'm glad to see its glorious return. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. So um, as Pat said, you can find uh, how, the best argument for God on Sophia Institute Press's website or on Amazon. The best argument, for, the best argument for God by Pat Flynn. Does it say Patrick Flynn? It might say Patrick Flynn on that. Uh, and uh, uh, philosophyforthepeople.com on YouTube and iTunes. And you know where to find me, the Catholic Mama, on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm not on YouTube. I tried. I tried. Maybe one day we'll get back to that. But for now, you know where to find me. Please subscribe so you don't miss any of these episodes. Thanks for being here, Pat. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. God bless. You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy, and we'll be back with more right after this. Wheels keep turning. Time keeps ticking. The wise keep learning. God keeps teaching. Use your moments. Learn well. Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. There's lives being touched every single day by it. Today on The Sampler, we're looking at ways to evangelize those closest to us. In our next offering from the Ask Father Josh podcast series by Ascension Press, Father Josh Johnson takes on the number one question that parents ask, how do I bring my children back to the church? What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the question and answer podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Uh, you hit me up with your questions on faith, on morality, on discipleship. I will pray with them, study them, and talk to my friends about them, and hopefully get back to you with a response that is good for you to become a saint, to grow in virtue, to grow in holiness and mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ in the 21st century. If you're a first-time listener, you can hit me up with your own questions and comments and critiques at www.assistionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. And you can share us on your social media pages. If it's good for you, it might be good for other people as well. On today's show, we are going to be talking about how do we bring our kids back after they've left the church? This is a question I get all the time. And so I'm going to share with you this through my prayer. I mean, I pray with this question a lot because I really wanted to have the mind of Christ when answering it. Uh, but before I respond to that question, I want to start off with a glory story.
My glory story this week is this Vagabond Missions is in Baton Rouge. You've heard me talk about Vagabond for a while now, but the missionaries have begun their assignment here in the Diocese of Baton Rouge. And it's just so beautiful, like the simple things of just having them around our campus here at Sacred Heart of Jesus in our neighborhoods. They've been going to one of our local high schools, uh, secular, a public high school uh, in our community. And, but uh, something cool that happened was me and Deacon Michael Parker, he's the air director, we do a walking rosary every Thursday around the neighborhood just to sanctify the land, to intercede for our, our neighbors, for our community, to pray for them, even if they haven't asked for prayers. Because I believe there are people who pray for, who've been praying for me that I didn't ask them to pray for me, but they did. And, and the fruit of their prayers is my conversion. Um, and so we pray for our neighbors, all of our neighbors, um, to have a deeper encounter with God's love, uh, specifically through this mission, Vagabond. As we were praying the rosary, though, a woman saw us praying the rosary, and she just pulled over, like, who are y'all? What are y'all doing? I was like, I'm Father Josh. And she's like, yeah, I've seen you before. And then he's Deacon Michael. And, and she asked us about what, what the mission is for Vagabond. And, and we told her, and she was like, well, I got, I got teenagers. Can I send my inner city teens to y'all? And we were like, you sure can. And then we ran to one of our local law enforcement officers, and he's, he told us, I'm from this neighborhood. I would have loved to have something like Vagabond whenever I was a kid. Can I please volunteer with y'all? Can I mentor the kids with y'all? We're like, heck yeah, you can. So it was just so beautiful just by us going out to pray the rosary, how many encounters we've had along the way with different people who are excited about the mission, who want to collaborate with us in the mission, uh, who want to serve. And so my glory story is just, yeah, the, the, when we are faithful to our place, when we embrace our place in the space that we're called to in the body of Christ, like God just makes the things happen how they're supposed to happen. And I'm not saying it's not going to be messy. I'm not saying it's not going to, uh, we're not going to have heartache and, and trials and errors and whatever. But I, I do say that when we're faithful to God, the Lord provides what we need um, to become saints and inform saints. And sometimes what we need is a cross, a heavy cross at that. But uh, it's always worth it because the cross always, always, always leads to the resurrection. So now let's go ahead and jump into today's topic about how do we bring our kids back when they left the church. Okay, so great question today. I have kids who left the church, how to bring them back. Well, first of all, you don't bring them back, right? Um, God draws them back and then they, with their free will, respond to God's grace. And so uh, as I've been praying for, for you with this question, I first and foremost have been drawn to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. There's no better evangelist. There's no better catechist. There's no better disciple maker than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not one, not one better. Jesus Christ was the most patient person, the most kind person, the most merciful person, most sacrificial giving person, the most joyful person. And yet and still, even though he was joyful and patient and kind and prayerful and, and good and true and beautiful, even though he went on to invest three years of disciple making with his followers. And remember, disciples of teachers, like they didn't just study their, their writings, they lived with the teacher. They, they, they studied the teacher's prayer. They worked with the teacher. They played with the teacher. They rested with the teacher. They had recreation with the teacher. They ate meals with the teacher. They, the apostles literally invested their life with Christ and Christ with them. 
And after three years of Christ pouring everything out for Peter and for James and for John and for Thomas and for Matthew and for Simon the Zealot and Judas, Judas still betrayed him and walked away. Even after Jesus was nothing but good to him and a good witness to him, and Judas still chose to walk away. Peter still chose to deny him. Matthew still chose to abandon him. Thomas still chose to doubt him. So if this happened to Jesus, our God, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, what makes us think that it won't happen to us? No matter how joyful we might be as parents, no matter how patient we might be, how virtuous, how kind, how holy of a witness, how prayerful, no matter how much we fast, we have to recognize that Jesus loved Judas more than we could ever love our kids. Jesus loved Judas more than we could ever love our kids, and Judas still chose to walk away. So your kids in freedom might still choose to walk away. No matter how many youth conferences you send them to or how many Bible studies they participate in or, or how often they see you praying on your knees, like those things are good and helpful. We ought to be witnesses because as St. Pope Paul VI says, the world today, kids today don't listen to teachers, they listen to witnesses. And if in fact they listen to a witness, it's because that witness was first and foremost a teacher. We ought to be witnesses because it does plant seeds. But we also need to be aware that everyone is free, including our kids. They are still free to make their own decisions. They are still free to walk their own path. And sometimes it's a path to perdition, but they are free. And God's not going to ever force us. So we cannot force them to be holy. We cannot force them to be disciples. We cannot force them to be saints. We invite them like God invited the disciples, like Jesus invites us. So, we ought to be people of prayer, like St. Monica prayed and fasted for Augustine and he eventually had a conversion. But we ought not to hold on to the expectation of that we're going to see the fruit of our prayer in our lifetime. We might, but we might not. Remember St. Charles de Foucault? He didn't see any fruit, visible fruit. He saw fruit in himself. He saw patience and kindness and, and fortitude growing, the virtues being cultivated, but he didn't see any conversions when he went to go minister to the Muslims in Saudi Arabia. He didn't see any Catholics join his religious order and then he died. And it was 10 years after his death that the visible fruit began to manifest and people began to join the order that he founded and Muslims began to convert to the faith that he loved so much, to the God that he worshiped, Jesus Christ. We cannot hold on to expectations. Expectations are a fruit of greed, right? And so we pour ourselves out, we plant the seeds, but then we trust that, that someone else will come and water those seeds. And even after they water those seeds, our kids are still free to resist that, to resist that to choose to walk away from that. Uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus Christ preaches the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are the poor. The poor are those of us who really believe that God is enough. God is sufficient. And our, our joy comes from the fact that we have God. And because we have God, we have all. We have everything. Everything. I, my, my joy does not come from having Jesus and having a parish full of disciples. My joy as a vocation director, does, it comes from Jesus. It does not come from having Jesus and having a lot of seminarians on the poster. I don't need that. All I need is Jesus. My, my, my joy comes from Jesus and Jesus Christ alone, not from having Jesus and being physically healthy right now. No, my, my health, the, the number of seminarians we have, the, the, the number of parishioners who are coming to confession and worshiping God at mass and becoming disciples, that is not what gives me joy. Only Jesus. Everything else is extra. 
Everything else is lanyard. Our joy must come from God and God alone. Everything else must be extra. So what are some things that we can do? Because even though Judas did not come back, Peter did come back. Well, we can look at Jesus again. Look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? Because as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are students of Jesus Christ today. We are called to follow Jesus Christ and imitate Jesus Christ. And so what did he do after Peter denied him, after Peter abandoned him? Well, he went to Peter. He pursued Peter. So we can pursue our kids. We can go to them and we can say, peace be with you. We can pray for them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they've done. And if they leave us and leave the church again, we can keep pursuing them over and over again and invite them over for a meal like Jesus did. Whenever Peter left him in the upper room, remember after Peter abandoned Jesus and denied Jesus, Jesus appears to Peter and says, peace be with you. And Peter's like, you can't be talking to me. I've messed up too much. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. He was saying, I'm going, I'm going back to my former way of life. I, I can't be discipled anymore. And he goes to fish and Jesus goes after him again. And then Jesus does something for him while he was away. He, he, he brings fish to Peter and then he cooks for Peter. So if your kids leave the church, invite them over for dinner, cook for them, still, still be in relationship with them, whether or not they're in relationship with the Lord or not, you be in relationship with them. And then by them seeing your, your love for, for them, by them seeing the way that you are patient with them and kind of them, they might, might be open to having this conversation about God again. They, they might be open to Jesus. Peter wasn't shamed. Do we shame our kids whenever they leave the church? Do we expose them to other family members? Do we talk about them? No, we pray for them. If they do come to get close to us, let them get close. If they express their doubts, let them. Thomas expressed his doubts and Jesus didn't say, Thomas, because you doubt, I'm mad at you. Even after the passion, death, resurrection and ascension into heaven, it says that all the apostles began to doubt. All of them doubted when he ascended to heaven. So if they're expressing doubts, let them express doubts. Process those doubts with them. When Matthew was a tax collector, when Matthew was a public sinner, Jesus Christ went and spent time with him. Spend time with him. Spend time with him and love them. Pray for them and fast for them. Invite others to pray for them and fast for them. Invite them to, to Mass. And if they come, they come. If they don't, okay, well, I'm still going to keep inviting. After James abandoned him, the first thing he said was, peace be with you. When our kids come home after they've left the church, do we always bring up their stuff every time we talk to them? Or do we try to cultivate a relationship with them, period? Like, follow them out of Jesus. Whenever they make, if, if they come back to church for any reason, even if it's not a pure reason, rejoice and celebrate. Think about the prodigal son in the, the gospel of Luke chapter 15. Jesus Christ tells the story about the prodigal son and he left his home and he was hungry. And the only reason he came back home uh, was because he was hungry. And he, he knows his dad was, was good to his, his workers. And so he says, well, I'll go back home because my dad will feed me better. He didn't go back home because he was sorry for his sins. He went back home because he was hungry. He had impure motivation. But yet the father still rejoiced when he came back home. Whenever your kids make any progress in growth and holiness, if they start praying a decade of the rosary, rejoice with them, celebrate with them, rejoice with them, celebrate that they're praying a decade of the rosary now. If they say, I open the Bible, rejoice over that. It's one step at a time for them walking back, being drawn back by the grace of God to the sacraments life of the church. And so rather than always condemning, oh, well, it's not enough that you're reading the Bible right now. Oh, it's not enough that you're praying the rosary right now. Just take that, that, that gift and say, I bless you. I praise you, God, for this gift. And tell your kid, I'm so proud of you for reading your Bible. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for praying the rosary. I'm so proud of you for going to adoration. I'm so proud of you for going back to confession, right? Whatever it is, make it a celebration. Celebrate the little victories. 
Because each little victory, each little step in, in holiness, each thing is a step in the right direction back to the Eucharist, back to the source and summit of our faith, back to Jesus Christ and the church. And certainly have those tough conversations every now and then, right? Um, certainly be a joyful witness. Certainly never stop praying. But also don't hold on to the expectation. Don't let your joy come from them coming back to the church. Let your joy be in God and God alone. Again, even that plant seeds. But we have to reverence that people are free. And so while it is good to be a witness, because it plants seeds while it is, I mean, John Paul's dad was a great witness. John Paul struggled. St. John Paul the Great struggled with the faith. He struggled with the church teaching on Mary. The only reason he went to Mass after his dad died and his mom died and his brother died and his sister died and his friends were in jail was because of his dad's witness. His dad's witness of going to Mass planted a seed. So he went to Mass and he ended up finding a community and that community walked with him. So yeah, witness is very important and that might be the thing, but it might not, right? Pray for your children's friends. Send your angels. I mean, how often do we not utilize our angels. Send your angels to, to intercede for them, right? To do ministry. Angels worked all through the Bible for people, ministered to people, communicated God's messages to people, protected people from the enemy, right? So there's a lot of things that we can do, obviously, but we look to Jesus as the model, right? What did Jesus do? He pursued, he prayed for them. He extended peace to them. He did not expose them to shame. Um, he allowed them to go and to come and to go and to come and to go and to never come back. Um, so we must imitate Jesus because that's who we are. That's who you are. You and I, we are the body of Jesus Christ. And so the life of Jesus Christ must be lived again and again and again in and through us. And so how did Jesus respond whenever they left? He didn't leave the Father. He kept talking to the Father. Did his heart break? Sure. But he still responded with so much love for the Father and so much love for them. So he gives us the model. We are invited to be an extension of the life of Christ today, again and again and again today. So, yeah, those are some of my thoughts. Now, again, there are other things we could do, right? So like inviting other people to pray for them and fast for them, right? Without gossiping about them, without exposing their sins to shame. But we can invite others to pray and fast and, and, um, and we keep inviting them. We don't stop inviting. We don't stop pursuing. We don't stop being a joyful witness. We don't stop any of that stuff. Um, but... I think at the end of the day, the Lord is inviting all of us to be detached from results, to be detached from seeing visible fruit, and to be open to that fruit, whether or not it's seen or unseen, because God's love is sufficient. It is sufficient. And so it's important that we also like examine our own walk with the Lord and our own discipleship, our own relationship. Because when we're abiding with the Lord, nothing even matters. It's like that Lauren Hill song, because nothing even matters at all. Nothing even matters. Yeah, you know, nothing even matters. It's like, God, I, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to fast, and I'm not going to hold on to expectation. I'm just going to do my part <laughs> um, and offer them freedom. So I'm, I know that might be a painful response, and there might be other ways, but that's the way that I felt called to share based on my time praying for you. With that being said, let's go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we're going to Jump into our, our saint for the show. It is actually a blessed member of the body of Christ who I think could be an inspiration for all of us. Hi there, I'm Mark Hart, and I want to share with you an exciting new series called Venture, the Bible Timeline for High School. Now, let's be honest. The Bible is easily the most confusing, most misunderstood book of all time. How do these random time periods, these random people, these random stories all fit together? And what do they mean for me and for my life? 
In this study, we're going to take a journey through the basic story of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation, so that by the end of it, teenagers will understand the big picture of salvation history. Because when we come to know the story, we come to know our place in the story. To find out more and get a free preview of this engaging new study, visit ascensionpress.com backslash venture. And we are back. Quick reminder, you can hit me with your own questions, comments, and critiques at www.assistionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can rate us and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and other podcast formats. And you can share us on your social media pages. If it's good for you, it might be good for others as well. Our saint for the day is Blessed Anthony Nero. And so he was, this is a crazy story, right? He was a guy who was a priest who messed up, right? He was a priest who made some big mistakes. He committed some serious sins and, and he came back and had a conversion. So this guy was a priest, uh, a Dominican priest at that, but he was just like, man, he was stuck in his own ways and he wanted things. He was like Burger King. Like, is it, I want it my way? Or is that Backstreet Boys? Cause I want it that way. Or have it your way. Have it your way is Burger King. Uh, so he wanted to have it his way and he was never happy. Everything was never good enough for him. And so when he got assignments that he didn't like, he would always say, well, move me. I'm not happy here. And then they would move him as opposed to being like, no, just be obedient and stay. They, they, they moved him and they kept moving him and he would go to this place and that place. And he'd say, oh, these people aren't good enough for me. I want somewhere else. They're not smart enough for me. They're not holy enough for me. And he kept getting moved. And so finally he was being moved uh, to, to Naples. And as he was traveling to Naples via ship, his ship got taken advantage of by a bunch of pirates and he became a slave to these pirates and these pirates were these uh, Muslims and and he lived such a comfortable life as a priest he wasn't familiar with self-sacrifice so the moment that that he could uh, find freedom from the Muslims he would and so they're like look we'll, we'll free if you become a Muslim if you renounce the faith we'll free you he's like all right I renounce the faith I just don't want to suffer and so he literally left his faith and accepted Islam, uh, left Jesus Christ. And because he was a former priest, the caliph gave this priest, Father Anthony, the gift of marrying his daughter, right? He married his daughter. And so now he's married. He's a priest, y'all, and he's breaking his vow of celibacy. He renounced the faith. He's not praying to the hours. He's living this, this very comfortable life as a sinner, he apostatized from Jesus, right? And so he gives up his faith and he starts to translate the Quran, right? Into, into Latin, into Italian. He begins to spread this message of Islam. He's a Catholic priest, y'all, baptized Catholic priest. And he's renounced the faith and he's trying to bring people away from Jesus. Like This is a serious scandal. So we might be like, oh man, like, this is, this is the worst. What's going on? And so this is going on, and this is going on for a long time. And, um, and then eventually people found out how he was living. And they start to pray for him. And they pray for him. And they pray for him. And they fast for him. And they fast for him. And they fast for him. And his mentor... This Dominican priest, St. Antoninus, dies. And he, as a member of the body of Christ in heaven, appears to Father Anthony. And he calls him to conversion. Right? 
You need to repent and you need to come back home. This was a huge wake up call for him. And so whenever his priest mentor appeared to him, he saw God's mercy in that. And he sent his wife back to her family. He began to live a life of prayer and of penance. He began to recite the most holy rosary every single day. He begged God for his mercy. He lived a life as a public figure who apostatized. And so now he lived as a public figure who was living penance in the body of Christ. He went to confession and he asked his his community to please forgive him, to please forgive him. And you know what they did? They did. And he once again was in right relationship with, with Jesus Christ. He publicly proclaimed Jesus Christ from the rooftop. Now, the caliph liked him. The caliph said, look, man, I enjoyed you as a son-in-law. Like, I, I will take you back if you come back to me now. And I will give you more. I will take care of you. All you have to do is just come back to this Islam faith. Renounce Jesus Christ. Renounce your Christianity. Leave the Catholic Church again. But he said, no, I'm a Catholic priest. And as a Catholic priest, Father Anthony boldly proclaimed Jesus Christ until he was martyred, until he was brought to prison and stoned to death. This is a story of somebody who did come back who left. And so if, if this priest can fall away from the sacraments, can leave Jesus Christ and come back, then we should have hope that our kids can too, right? He didn't have a conversion while his mentor, St. Antoninus, was still alive. St. Antoninus died first, and then he had a conversion. You might die first, but your kids might later have a conversion, through your intercession from heaven, right? You might be able to appear to them in a dream. But now, this, this priest, who at one point was an apostate, is now known as Blessed Anthony Nero. So your kids have the capacity to be saints. Just don't give up hope. So, blessedy, blessed Anthony, blessed, way up he is blessed. Blessed Anthony Nero, we invite you, um, we invite you to pray for us to all have conversions. Heavenly Father, in your name and through your power, we ask that you send forth your Holy Spirit upon all of our sons and daughters who've left the church. And through the intercession of Blessed Anthony Nero, through the intercession of St. Peter, we ask that you draw them back home. Whether we see it or not, whether we are alive when it happens or not, Lord, we ask that you give them the grace to experience purification and transformation, to abide in your love now and always. We ask this prayer, Father God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, y'all. Love you very much. Stay tuned for more shows. Deuces. That's all the time we have for Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler for today. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org, along with links to more of the programs we've shared. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, may God bless. 
Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.